cloud-based electronic health record vendor Practice Fusion recently agreed to a settlement with the Federal Trade Commission in a privacy case that alleged that Practice Fusion misled consumers by soliciting reviews for their doctors without clearly disclosing that these reviews would be publicly posted on the internet resulting in the public disclosure of patients' sensitive personal and medical information. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with privacy attorney Adam Green of the law firm Davis Wright Tremaine. Adam will be speaking to us about the significance of this case and the lessons that other EHR and cloud computing vendors as well as healthcare organizations and other business associates might learn from this incident. So now, Adam, just for starters, could you very briefly paint a picture for our listeners about what Practice Fusion did that allegedly crossed the line in terms of patient privacy and got the attention of the FTC in this case? So Practice Fusion is an electronic medical record, electronic health record vendor, and they oftentimes serve physician practices. And what they did is they came up with a program to collect and ultimately display patient survey responses so that patients would start using Practice Fusion as a resource to identify local physician offices that might be helpful for them and to, to see ratings and reviews to identify which one may be better. So what Practice Fusion started doing was sending out emails to patients, and the emails indicated that they were from the patient's doctor asking for survey information, although the email did include lower down indications that these emails were being submitted on the doctor's behalf by Practice Fusion. And so the email collected information about things like wait time and that sort of thing and included a box to fill out essentially any sort of review that you'd like. And there was, in gray, some information stating, you know, do not include personal information here. But that little notice about the personal information was likely missed by a number of individuals who filled this out and because what we saw was that a number of patients actually, instead of writing a review, used this as a tool to communicate potentially sensitive information back to their doctor and sometimes included their name, even phone number, in that information. And at the end of the day, Practice Fusion, after collecting this information, went ahead and posted the information once they launched their physician directory, if you will. And this led to, amongst other things, a Forbes article highlighting the fact that there was some very sensitive information that was listed amongst these reviews and that, in some cases, patients did not necessarily know that, that what they were sending was going to be publicly posted to a website. And in some cases, physicians did not necessarily know that Practice Fusion was doing this. And so years later, the FTC brought this complaint and entered into a settlement agreement with Practice Fusion, essentially charging that they were engaged in unfair and deceptive trade practices based on a lack of transparency to patients that the information that was being collected here was being collected for posting on a public review website, essentially. So, Adam, in terms of the sorts of sensitive patient information that was allegedly publicly disclosed, what sort of information? Was it prescription information, patients requesting refills on certain medications, and any sense of why 
you know, even if patients were confused in responding this way to this supposed survey, that, you know, this information wasn't caught somehow by practice fusion before it actually showed up on the website. So here are some examples that were in the FTC complaint. So one of them is, Dear Dr. Blank, my Xanax prescription that I received on Monday was for one tablet a day, but usually it's for two tablets a day. I have not taken it to the pharmacy yet. Can I pick up a new one? Thanks. Then it listed the patient name, which the FTC redacted. And another example that was listed in the complaint was, I was pleased with Dr. Blank, his information on getting a facelift. I will call if I have further questions. Thank you, patient's name. So this is the sort of information that was included. And I don't have inside information regarding what happened here, but it's easy sometimes when you have any sort of data collection with a free-form text field, meaning text that people can put anything in, it's easy to discover that whoever filled that out put in information that you weren't expecting. Unfortunately, it's easy to discover that when something bad happens. It's much tougher to find that out ahead of time. It can be very tough to screen when you have these text fields for potentially personal information or sensitive information that doesn't belong there. You have to proactively either review everything or employ sophisticated tools that may not be perfect to try to identify information there that doesn't belong. I've seen this in a number of contexts, so it's not just in this case that sometimes people fill out forms in ways that you would not expect, and that can lead to problems. Adam, the FTC says that the settlement with Practice Fusion prohibits the company from making, quote, deceptive statements about the privacy or confidentiality of the information that it collects from consumers and will also require the company, prior to making any consumer's information publicly available, to clearly and conspicuously disclose this fact and obtain consumers' affirmative consent. So, Adam, translate, what does that mean for practice fusion? And what does this potentially mean for other EHR or health IT vendors looking ahead? Well, I don't want to go and try to interpret exactly what this might mean with respect to the relationship between the FTC and practice fusion. That's for those two parties. But more generally, the FTC, they've got general statutory authority to prohibit unfair and deceptive trade practices. And they've used that to really mean any practices that violate consumers' privacy or information security reasonable expectations, if you will. So we've seen this in other cases where the FTC thought that consumers were not put on sufficient notice of how their information that was being collected was going to be used. A good example of that was the Payments MD case, where you also had a business associate under HIPAA who collected information, and like this practice fusion case, There was even an authorization that may have been compliant with HIPAA, but the FTC felt like the authorization was somewhat buried and that the individual was not put on sufficient notice of what was in that authorization. It was easy, for example, to just click through without reading the authorization and understanding exactly how that information was going to be used and disclosed. And the FTC, depending on the circumstances, may consider such a practice to be either unfair or deceptive, depending on what statements have been made. So the lesson is that compliance with, for example, HIPAA is not necessarily enough. The FTC is looking for not just, for example, a HIPAA-compliant authorization, but 
they want to be comfortable that the patients are fully aware of exactly how their information will be used and disclosed. That requires more than just a click-through necessarily, but some means to really ensure that the individual has read and understand how their information will be used. So how that is done varies, and there's no prescribed way. You know, it may be requiring that they actually go through and go to the bottom of the authorization before they're able to accept its terms. That may be helpful in showing that someone has actually read the authorization rather than just done a click-through or something like that. So the FTC seems to be going significantly above and beyond what we've seen other regulators expect when it comes to ensuring that consumers understand how their information will be used and shared. Adam, are there any particular privacy or security lessons that healthcare organizations, healthcare providers, hospitals, doctor offices might learn from this case and settlement? One of the most important lessons is that HIPAA is not the only law out there that covers healthcare information. This is a, a, an important reminder that the FTC also has jurisdiction. Now, they don't have jurisdiction with respect to their unfair and deceptive trade practices authority with respect to nonprofits. And so, for example, many nonprofit hospitals may not be subject to FTC jurisdiction. They would continue to be subject to HIPAA, and there may be state laws that may be applicable, but not necessarily FTC. But if you're a business associate, more likely than not, you're a for-profit institution, and you may be subject to both HIPAA and this FTC authority. If you're a physician's practice, you may be a for-profit entity and, and subject to the FTC's jurisdiction. So first and foremost is making sure you understand that HIPAA is not the only law and that you may, depending on for-profit versus non-profit status, be subject to FTC authority. And then the second lesson would be if you are subject to the FTC authority, you really want to be thinking about how you are able to demonstrate that you have individuals, consumers, patients, their privacy interests at heart and that you are really going above and beyond and not doing kind of the bare minimum and having privacy as an afterthought that someone has to click a link to, to and scroll down to the bottom to understand how their information is being used, but rather that you are making it readily apparent for everyone how their information is being used. I mean, at the end of the day, the FTC does not want any surprises like what you saw in this case. They don't want patients to be surprised. And you have to understand that simply having a warning or having a link oftentimes will still lead to surprises to patients. And so you want to think about the risk. I mean, if you're going to be publicly posting information, you want it to be very clear to patients up front, not buried somewhere, that their information will be publicly posted. And so, Adam, in this case, FTC went after practice fusion under the unfair business practice regulations and laws. Could you see potentially any HIPAA violations in this situation here? Would this be something that OCR would go after as well? Not necessarily practice fusion per se, but if there was another company that had some kind of similar mess up where patients were providing information that ended up being posted online because they were not clear in the instructions that they provided these patients? The standards under HIPAA are somewhat different. So it's always possible that you could have both a HIPAA violation and an FTC violation, but they have different laws and they interpret them very differently. So, for example, HIPAA requires an authorization. It requires that that authorization not be a compound authorization, meaning it it should not be combined with other types of documents. But HIPAA doesn't prescribe 
how you would necessarily present that authorization online and get it electronically signed. So there certainly could be situations where, from a HIPAA perspective, you as a covered entity or business associate have collected an authorization in a manner that's completely consistent with HIPAA, but does not satisfy FTC's requirement. Additionally, HIPAA, with respect to business associates, limits a business associate's use or disclosure to that which is permitted by the business associate agreement. But if the business associate agreement says you can do it, and it's consistent with HIPAA to do it, then that may be sufficient for purposes of HIPAA. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be sufficient from the FTC standpoint. So if you have a business associate agreement that buried somewhere in that agreement says the business associate may do something, and then it's not fully transparent to consumers that the business associate is doing it, it may be that it's consistent with HIPAA, but not with the FTC's authority. On the other hand, anytime a business associate is doing something the covered entity doesn't know about or doesn't fully understand, you do have to look at that business associate relationship and that business associate agreement because there could be a HIPAA violation if the business associate agreement, for example, does not allow the business associate's use or disclosure. So it's going to be very separate analyses that you have to look at with respect to the HIPAA regulations and with respect to FTC authority pretty distinctly. And Adam, as far as we know, is there no financial penalty that's involved with this settlement? I did not see one, and that's typical. In most FTC cases, they will enter into a 20-year consent order, and if there's a violation during that 20-year period, that consent order may provide for penalties. But in contrast, while HIPAA provides civil monetary penalties for violations of HIPAA, FTC Act Section 5, which is where the FTC gets its authority, does not generally call for civil monetary penalties for violating that section. And so it's typical that an FTC consent order would not have any financial penalties up front, but rather may allow for penalties if the consent order is violated ultimately. And finally, Adam, are there any significant lessons that come out of this case when it comes to companies outside the healthcare sector that those companies should be watching for in this settlement, in this case, to learn something from? Well, it's, I think, an important lesson for any company with respect to the FTC's expectations. And so, for example, the email that was sent out says, please leave a review for your provider. And in gray underneath, for your protection, do not include any personal information. Important lesson that the FTC was not satisfied with that. And then later on, it has a checkbox, I agree to the terms of the patient authorization and a link to the patient authorization there. And so you can click on that checkbox without actually having clicked on the link and read the patient authorization. A lesson for any organization that the FTC does not seem to like checkboxes where the individual does not have to actually read through the associated document. That's, I think, something that is always going to be a risk factor with the, with respect to the FTC. They may not be satisfied that you've done enough there. So regardless of what industry you're in, if you are collecting information and the only way for the individual to fully understand how their information is going to be used is to click on a link, for example, and if the individual would be surprised potentially by how their information will be used, I think this case represents you know, notice that the FTC may not be satisfied that having the information available where the individual has to click a link, that the FTC may not be satisfied with that. Thanks, Adam. I've been speaking to attorney Adam Green. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.